Uh, Nick, so we're just a few months into this uh, agreement between the federal liberals and the NDP that's supposed to help the liberals govern until 2025. Uh, earlier this week, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau got asked a question at a town hall by student, and I, I just want you to hear this. So my question is, will you fulfill the promise you made in your 2015 and 2021 campaigns by replacing the first past the post electoral system with a new kind of proportional representation electoral system? Uh, no, I don't believe in proportional representation. I don't think it's a good idea. I did commit to replacing uh, the first past the post system. Uh, I love the idea of a ranked ballot where you get to pick your first choice, you know, pick the red guy first and then the orange girl second and the green person third, and then you never get the blue person if that's the way you choose to vote. Um, so you don't have to worry about who might get elected if you vote for your preferred choice. I think having people challenge themselves as political party to be people's second or third choices actually brings people together. So Nick, of course, um... Prime Minister Justin Trudeau wants a ranked ballot, but the NDP does not. Uh, the NDP wants proportional representation. And, and this could be, you know, just one of the many disagreements between these two parties. Do you think we're already seeing cracks in this deal? Well, potential cracks. And you know what, Michael, the fact of the matter is the chickens, what we call them, policy chickens are coming home to roost, mm -hmm. right? Justin Trudeau has been prime minister now for seven years. Now people are starting to go back to what was promised in 2015 when he first uh, fought to become the leader of uh, the, the prime minister. And uh, people are now going back to, uh, to promises. And you know, the thing is, is that for most Canadians, the discussion related to democratic reform usually refers to proportional, not necessarily ranked ballot. And this is very important for the, for the new Democrats. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this parliamentary arrangement between the Liberals and the New Democrats, how it will stand the test of time and the stress. You know, it's it's easy at the beginning. It's kind of like they're in the honeymoon, right? It's at the beginning. Everybody's happy. There's no elections. You know, the numbers are stable and so forth. But uh, I would expect that there's going to be increasing stress on the relationship, not just because the Liberals will be governing, but odds are they're going to do something that will be unpopular for the NDP caucus, and they're going to have to hold their nose and support the government, or at least prop up the government mm -hmm. on any motions of confidence. So watch out for turbulence and, and strain on the liberal New Democrat arrangement in Parliament. And, uh, you know, just last month, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau was in uh, Kamloops, BC, and, and he was booed by Indigenous uh, protesters. Uh, uh, just if you're the NDP and you're, and you're kind of seeing this, um, what do you make of it? And, and how is uh, Trudeau's sort of personal... Uh, brand doing these days? Well, his, his brand is relatively steady, but you know, the he's got to be disappointed or I don't know, annoyed, aggravated, because whether you love or hate Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, they are a government that is trying to do a lot on the reconciliation file. They've spent a lot, made a number of significant financial commitments to Indigenous peoples in Canada, but you can see that in these events, that there's a significant palpable frustration for among indigenous peoples in terms of the pace of change. And, uh, and, and from their perspective, they're just, it just isn't happening fast enough. And I think it has to be, it has to be difficult at least, or uh, whatever for, for Justin Trudeau to, to go to an event that hypothetically should be good news. And then to be grilled by young indigenous leaders 
on uh, on on indigenous issues. So you know, the, and so this is just another example of some of the strain that Trudeau and also what I'd say the Liberals and the New Democrats will be under over the next uh, couple of years as they try to keep their parliamentary arrangement alive. Well, hi, I'm Michael Stiddle. And I'm Nick Nanos. And you're listening to another episode of CTV's Trendline podcast, the podcast about polling. Uh, Nick, I want to just go back to this topic of ranked ballots, because obviously that's how the federal conservative leadership race is being decided. Uh, there was a recent report that uh, perceived frontrunner Pierre Polyev uh, has signed up hundreds of thousands of new members uh, to potentially vote for him. Um, could we see a, a first run win potentially by Polyev? If the numbers hold up, yes. And, you know, the thing is, is that Polyev, for all intents and purposes, is claiming victory. Right. Uh, by some reports, there are 600,000 members and Poiliev is claiming to have over 300,000. You know, it doesn't take a lot of uh, math to figure out that at least Poiliev thinks that he's the uh, not only the front runner, but that he could potentially win on the first ballot. But, you know, in these ranked ballot scenarios can be quite interesting in results. And here's here's one of Michael, here's one of my favorite factoids mm. in the most recent uh, conservative leadership, which had a ranked ballot. And this factoid has to do with uh, Leslin Lewis. Leslin Lewis you know, has carved out uh, a niche and a following for herself in the, uh, in the Conservative Party of Canada, being very socially conservative. And on the second ballot, when the, after the first ballot was done and they started reallocating votes, mm-hmm. Leslin Lewis actually won or had and garnered more votes than either Aaron O'Toole or Peter McKay, but it wasn't efficient at converting into points. So how's this? She's gonna be a person to watch Hmm. uh, in terms of potential growth, not necessarily on the first ballot, but if it does go to a second ballot, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with her numbers and how, whether she has, uh, or what type of growth potential that she might have. But we may be in a situation that perhaps Leslie Lewis could outpace some of the other front runners, such as Jean Charest and uh, Patrick Brown. Uh, I don't think she's going to outpace Poiliev because he's got a different kind of thing going. But it's going to be interesting to see uh, whether uh, whether she performs well. But she performed very well in the last Conservative leadership, uh, just on a vote by vote basis, but just wasn't efficient at converting into points. Hmm. Uh, I mean, this is what I like about ranked ballots. You, you get some, you know, very interesting results after the first round and, and generally some surprises. It, it seems, I guess, traditional wisdom is that, uh, is that if you uh, have more of a, an extreme view, I suppose, and you're not everyone's, I guess, second or third favorite candidate, you have less of a chance of, of ultimately winning in some cases. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that it's, it's pretty clear. This has been a, this has been an absolutely nasty uh, nasty leadership contest, especially between the front runners. Uh, you know, Pierre Poiliev, for all intents and purposes, called Jean Charest and implied that it as as unethical, which is very kind of you don't hear that a lot within for people within the same party. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the thing is, is where's the and I th- I think for Poiliev, it speaks to his strategy. His strategy is not to get second ballot support. His strategy is to win on the first ballot or to come so close that just through attrition, he might be able to win on a, on a second ballot, but uh, it's going to be his strategy is he's taking no prisoners. No. Right. And here's, here's a prediction. This can, this considered leadership, regardless of what the outcome is that if they have 600,000 members 
on the day of the leadership. My prediction is the day after the leadership, hundreds of thousands of people who bought those memberships will leave. Mm. They will leave either because they're upset that Pierre Poiliev won, or they'll be upset because some other candidate, such as Jean Charest or Patrick Brown or Leslin Lewis did really well. That they're going to be. So there will be mass exodus of the Conservative Party coming out of this because for the losers, they're going to be really upset and they're just going to go home and they're probably not going to come back. Uh, Nick, this reminds me, I mean, we, you've, you've said this in previous episodes, that, that there's sort of an, an opening in the center and the center right of Canada, uh, uh, you know, uh, for the federal conservatives potentially. Uh, and we saw just recently with the Ontario election, a very uh, pragmatic conservative approach really paid off with uh, Doug Ford's progressive conservatives. Um, Alberta is an interesting case. I mean, when you when you compare uh, Doug Ford to uh, outgoing Alberta Premier Jason Kenney, very two very different approaches to conservatism, and uh, we saw what happened with Kenney recently with that leadership review. Yeah, absolutely. You know, think of it this way, Michael. You know, for, what do we call it? Ford version 1.0 when he first ran. Mm. I think for average Ontarians and Canadians, they would have said that he's cut from the same mold as his brother, part of the Ford nation, very populist, very uh, vocal, uh, very proactive, uh, very good at, at, at retail mm-hmm. politics. And, and you know what? People would have, I'll just say Jason Kenney 1.0 would have been kind of similar, right? Social conservative, populist, very good on retail uh, politics. We have two of them leading Canada's among Canada's most important provinces, Alberta and uh, and Ontario, and uh, but it's kind of like Jason Kenney got stuck at version 1.0 and just mm-hmm. got crushed right mm-hmm. during the course of the pandemic. He seemed a little more ideological, seemed a little more rigid and stubborn, and as as a result, uh, kind of uh, annoyed and aggravated not just people outside of the party but people within his own party, and and as a result, you know that leadership vote where he only had about 51 or 52 percent which just must have been a crushing number uh knowing that he couldn't couldn't stay on in contrast ford went from version 1.0 which was similar to kenny to version 2.0 which is hello my name is doug ford right if you don't Mm -hmm. get vaccinated and you're in my caucus you're out and uh oh the liberals want to subsidize ten dollar a day daycare we'll take that and also what I'll say, a certain level of, uh, of, of pragmatism that I think had a significant level of appeal to a number of Ontarian voters, which is why he won his second mandate. So to your point, Kenny and Ford is a study in contrast hmm. and what works right now. And, you know, the reality is, is that if you're a conservative hopeful for the federal leadership, you should probably be learning from both of those examples uh, especially when it comes to voters in Ontario. And you know what, uh, Michael, and sorry for our, our listeners and uh, viewers from across the country, Ontario is one of the big prizes. It's not the big prize, but it's mm-hmm. one of the big prizes. For the Conservatives, how about this? They can't win an election federally without doing well in Ontario, mm-hmm. period, full stop. So the question is, which strategy is more likely to appeal in Ontario? And I'm saying right now, it's Ford version 1.0. Uh, 2.0 as the strategy that's most likely to resonate and engage Ontario voters. Mm. 
Uh, in Alberta, Nick, we, we might potentially see a former Wildrose leader taking over the United Conservatives. I think, uh, you know, Daniel Smith and Brian Jean are, are I, I believe, uh, according to Leger, uh, they might be leading as a potential uh, uh, leader. Uh, what, yeah. what, what do you make of that? Well, it's, you know, the interesting thing, and this is this is kind of the bizarre thing about Alberta politics, right? You got the stuff where there was a recording, a Kenny staffer recorded Jason Kenny saying that he's needs to be power, needs to retain the mm. leadership in order to control. I think, I'm not sure if he used the word crazies, but I think that's what he implied. Some mm. of the more extreme elements of his own party, uh, you know, that didn't help him. It's going to be interesting to see where the United Conservative Party goes, because, you know, right now in the survey by Leger, my friend Jean-Marc Leger, survey mm. that, that they've done in Alberta, uh, you know, it's basically a statistical tie between the New Democrats and the United Conservative Party in this period following the uh, Jason Kenney uh, resignation. So it's gonna be interesting to see where the party decides to go because it could have a material impact on, on where the numbers fall uh, in, in Alberta. Uh, how is the how is the Alberta NDP doing uh, these days under Rachel Notley? Uh, I mean, is there a chance that she may uh, return to government? Yeah, absolutely. You know, with a, with a statistical tie factoring the margin of error in the Leger survey, uh, they're definitely uh, they're definitely in the race. And, you know, the thing is, is that Alberta generally is like, why even poll in Alberta? You know that the Conservatives are probably going to win and they're going to win big. Like Jason Kenney's win, he had a big win uh, in his uh, in, in his mandate uh, after he unified the uh, the parties and the provincial Conservative parties in, in Alberta. So uh, the NDP are definitely on the agenda. And my understanding is that they've done a good job at recruiting candidates. And the big question mark is who will be the next leader of the United Conservative Party? Which direction will they take the, uh, the party in? Uh, and, uh, and, and how will that, how will they perform in the next provincial uh, in the next provincial election? But right now I would say it's a, statistically, it's a coin toss, at least between the United Conservatives and the New Democrats. Uh, Nick, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll look at the nine lives of uh, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Uh, Nick, so British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, uh, he seems to constantly be battling his own mistakes and also members of, within his own party, uh, and he just squeaked by uh, a leadership review uh this week um what do you make of this how how has he managed to survive for so long and 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 what do you think the future holds for uh, uh the british conservatives well, boris johnson the man with the crazy hair that's who we're talking about yeah <laughs> yes. i'm i am a little jealous uh, i'm a little you know follically challenged so i i kind of you know any <laughs> i would take his hair if i could <laughs> <laughs> well i won't go down that path michael i think you're fine the way you are and, thank you thanks Nick. uh but you know, the, the thing is, is what's interesting about Boris Johnson is that he built a, he built a new winning coalition uh, for, the, for the Conservative Party because he did better in the Midlands. There are areas like they, they used to call it the Big Red Wall, where, where labor was almost, almost insurmountable in a lot of these constituencies. And he managed to, Boris Johnson managed to crack that, which was a significant setback for labor and part of what I'll say part of his building of the new coalition. Mm. That said, you know, the, the, the Conservative Party is still fighting within itself, even on issues like Brexit, on issues related to the, the defense relationship, for example, between uh, Europe and the United Kingdom. And, you know, my understanding is that in the, as part of the Brexit deal, for example, 
the Europeans had offered to make sure that there were still strong security ties between and defense ties between Europe and the exiting United Kingdom. And a lot of conservative MPs, even though they were okay with a lot of the other Brexit conditions actually wanted this to happen. They uh, even in, in to have a Brexit, but that they wanted to keep defense and security better aligned with Europe. And this was just not on hmm. for the for the Johnson uh, for the Johnson administration. So he's fighting policy battles. It's kind of like he's fighting at home, and you know, and he's also fighting the uh, the the opposition parties. So it's going to be interesting to see whether this guy can survive. But to your point, he keeps surviving, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and, you know, as a result, he's still, uh, he's still prime minister, but we'd like to say, for those of us that follow history, you know, even big players like Margaret Thatcher have been ousted by their caucus. Mm-hmm. So he should be quite nervous about, uh, you know, having over a hundred caucus members uh, vote against him in a, in a confidence vote. It's kind of a strange parallel to uh, outgoing Alberta Premier Jason Kenney as well. I mean, both both leaders face criticism over their handling of the COVID pandemic. Uh, uh, you know, Johnson was caught in party gates. Uh, there was yeah. some situation with Kenney maybe as well. Uh, both had a leadership review and both squeaked by, but only one of them uh, chose to resign. Yeah. And, you know, I think for, well, let's face it, for Boris Johnson, it's, uh, as everyone knows, he want, he's wanted to be prime minister ever since he was a boy in short pants. And let's not even visualize that at all. But, you know, he's wanted to be prime minister for quite a long time. And I, he's, he's never going to let go of this job. He's going to hold on to it uh, to, the, to the very end. But, you know, I think part of the problem is that these, uh, you know, the party gate, whatever you want to call it, just shows a certain level. It grinds some people the wrong way because it shows a certain level of hypocrisy where leaders ask their citizens to do something during the pandemic, and then they do not abide by those rules themselves. And I think that's where the problem is. Uh, Nick, thanks as always for your uh, analysis and thanks everyone for listening.